0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the Scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Parenting by Heart, looking at principles that we have found helpful in the first 10 years of parenting. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Heavenly Father, you're the greatest parent, the most most wonderful model, and the more we can be like you, the better everything will go. Help us to cover the things that need to be talked about tonight. For the glory of your name, give understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's see, this is our cleanup time. This is nuts and bolts, all the tidbits and fragments that uh, we can try to cover here at the end that may be helpful. If you have your Bible, uh, please turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Uh, for the first point, I'd like to go re- revisit a topic we talked about three weeks ago on uh, prophesying over your children, prophesying used in the term of, in the sense of uh, that what do you say about your children to them? And uh, what do you project onto their lives by what you say? You're just like your father. Why aren't, can't you be more like your sister? You are so foolish, etc. You'll never amount to anything. All of those are prophecies over your children. And. Uh, this came to me, it's kind of funny to say it, but it came to me in my sleep last night. I guess I was already thinking about what we were going to talk about tonight, but, but really in my, as I was uh, in my dreams thinking about this class, this particular phrase came to my mind in uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, just that middle phrase that you're very familiar with, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. How many of you have heard that verse? Everybody. And I thought that is a wonderful picture of, of the transformation we need in our communication with our children because so often our words can be like swords and spears to them and uh, we, it's not a decision between communicating or not communicating, it's just what and how to communicate. And uh, it says they will hammer their swords into plowshares, plowshares, uh, uh, plow up the ground so that new seed can be sown and says they will hammer their spears into pruning hooks. Spears just wound, pruning hooks trim and foster growth and fruitfulness. Although it's still a a, a cutting action, but it's for uh, uh, benefit and maximum fruitfulness. So I thought that is a beautiful picture of what uh, can and should take place as we learn to communicate more like God does to our children and learn to give them hope by the way we choose to address them, even in their darkest moments. Um, we talked about, in case you weren't here, about how Wendy's mother would speak to her as a child and say, I know someday you're, you're really going to do something great for God. And all those things stick in your child's mind. And if you project negative thoughts over them, even if I mean, there are very, sometimes very negative moments of disobedience, and, and it really looks bad. In fact, it looks like it's getting even worse. But to be able to find a way to say it that brings in hope, says, I know you're going through a rough time now, but I really believe that someday you're going to be a great man of God. But just sow that hope in them because they believe you and they will find themselves living out whatever you said about them. I mean, just think about in your own life how things that your mom and dad said about you pursue you. For good or evil, whether they were swords or plowshares, whether they were spears or pruning hooks. And even if a father or mother is very abusive, all through their lives, those children, even when they're grown, more than anything else, they want to get to the point where mom and dad would say, I'm proud of you. So you want to already be building that into your child when they're young, that unconditional love and the things that you say about them. Just a little thought on that, but that's a very powerful thing you can uh, invest in your children secondly I want to just chat a minute with the dad first I want to just mention that uh, dad we need you you're not just an accessory the kind of the closest witness to the things that go on in the house God has determined that the man in the house would be the prince of the household not that doesn't mean he's the best but just in the sense that he is an integral part of or should be, of that household. And God has appointed you, anointed you as priest over that family. And so you're not just a tag along when it comes to family matters. It wasn't that you married this beautiful woman and then something happened along the way and well but it happens to a lot of people and so now you've got these little ones banging around and, and getting all the attention and and you're just kind of, you know, waiting for this thing to kind of work its way out of the house and then to get back to some normalcy of life. It's a a transformation of realizing that God has made you to do more than just be you and to live your life uh, with your sweetheart. He's made you to be like him. The most common picture of how God is and who God is is not shepherd or king or creator. It's father. And by giving you the privilege of being a dad, he has invited you on an adventure to become more like him. But to the degree you resist that and turn the parenting over to your partner, you'll miss out on things that God was intending to do in and through you. Dad, we need you to be a man of the word and of prayer. What will your children remember you for? Your hobbies or your passion for God? Not that it doesn't mean you can't have hobbies, but they know what really has first place in your heart. You don't have to tell them. They already know. And uh, they need you to be a spiritual man. They need you to be the priest of the family. The man provides the backbone and the objective wisdom in the home. The the wife provides all the the sensitivity, nurture, love. The wife is like the fuse box in the house. It's more delicate. That's what uh, the circuit breakers blow first there so that there's not a greater danger of someone getting killed in the house by getting electrocuted. So the circuit breaker blows... And, uh, and you know, hey, we have a problem here. And so mom is the one that sees the problem sooner than the dad will see it, as a general rule. She's so sensitive to the relational issues and, and to the different things going on. And that's why she's so essential to the family. But the dad also can provide the objective wisdom to guide the family. But that's not going to happen, men, if you don't engage men are uh, as Bill Cosby was saying you know they know how to look helpless and uh, if they act helpless enough then others will will do the jobs of parenting but it's important for you to to accept that for this period of my life this is one of the most important things I do and it's really worth doing and it's worth the sacrifices to to do it. God the Father focuses on us as his children. God doesn't say well Hang on, man, I've got a, I've got a war going on on the other side of the world. I don't have time to talk to you right now. God engages us as his children and communicates to us that that's really all he has to do. He's made that us his number one focus and priority. God leads us. Think about the picture of God's leadership as a father and as a shepherd in Psalm 23. Put your name in it there, Dad. Would your family be able to say, Our dad is our shepherd? We shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. Dad restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for the Father's name's sake. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because my dad is with me, at least in his spirit and his attitude. His heart is with me. His rod and his staff comfort me. Dad has prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My father has anointed my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in my father's heart forever. You see, the Lord wants to do that in and through you. He doesn't want your children just to have a spiritual father. He wants that word to become flesh in you as a dad. Your wife needs you to be engaged. Your son, he needs you to give him that attention. He needs you to wrestle with him, play hide-and-seek with him. Depending on what age it is, he needs you to go to his sports things. Your daughter needs you to treat her in such a way so that she will know what it's like to be treated like a lady and to always remind her, don't ever marry anyone that treats you any worse than your father. I like taking my girls out and, and doing everything with them that I would want their future husband to do in terms of the way they're treated in public. So just a word for you, Dad. Uh, we need you to be more and more like God, and God's going to bless bless your memory and your children's minds. Third point, I want to talk to the moms. Proverbs 14.1. I had this verse in my quiet time about 15 years ago, and it really struck me. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. I want you to notice here that uh, you think, uh, how about dad? How about the father? doesn't mention the father. It says, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with their own hands. It's amazing the impact for good or evil the spirit of the mother, the spirit of the woman has on household. There's such a, um, a power that God has given to the wife to the mother, to set the tone of the home. You know, you've heard the phrase, if mom's not happy, no one's happy. But if mom is like sunshine in the home, that also affects the home so much for good. And that's why the, the mother really needs to realize she can't just let herself go. Because as she goes, so goes the atmosphere of the home. And the dad can come in and say, well, it shouldn't be this way. But nevertheless, the woman needs to realize what a responsibility God has given her. It says, the wise woman builds her house. But the foolish one, the one who doesn't, says, well, this is just the way I feel, etc., etc., says, she tears it down with her own hands. Are you building up your house or are you tearing it down? What kind of an atmosphere pervades in your home because of your walk with the Lord, your trust in Him, your cheerful spirit, your self-control, I mean, I realize you're, you're up against uh, almost Armageddon in your home sometime between the, the mess and the kids and the, the finances and all of these different things. But just to keep that vision in the back of your mind, I am the air freshener of this home. How am I doing? Lord, give me the grace to uh, to set a more positive, healthy tone here in the home. Fourth, I want to talk to you about respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. The importance of, uh, and and so many families do a great job on this, so I'm I'm not going to dwell on it, but some families tend to allow their children a lot of of leeway to express themselves, uh, particularly in in negative things, including in negative things. And a child that, that answers back is constantly like that. It's only because he's been taught to do it. It's like weeds If you just are passive enough with your yard, you will have weeds. It's only a matter of time. And if you're passive enough with your children in uh, not guiding them in paths of righteousness in this, you will have the weeds of sassiness and backtalk. Now, you don't just, when they uh, talk back to you or when they are disrespectful, you don't just immediately take them and discipline them. Why not? Right. We don't. We they haven't been taught differently. We don't. We don't discipline just because it's something I don't like. We discipline because of rebellion. And if I haven't ever explained to them what is respect, then I can't discipline them about it yet. They're not rebelling against anything I've said. I haven't said anything. I just don't like the way they're talking to me. So we call a timeout and we go talk about what's the difference. What would be another way? I know now what they want to say. I says, and I, we'll, we'll discuss that. You don't like this and this and this. Now, this is another way to say that. The way you were saying it was being a sassy and backtalk and rebellious. And this is another way you could have said the same thing that would have been more appropriate. Why don't we practice that? And you, go over it. you make sure they know in that kind of a situation again what's the appropriate way to express themselves and what isn't appropriate. And then if it happens again, then you can discipline them because... You might give them one more chance because you're kind of breaking in uh, this new rule. But once you're sure that that's clear, then after that, you always go ahead and discipline them. As far as uh, things that come up, like uh, this is uh, just an example of it, profanity, but, but there are different things that you will say to your children, don't do this, and what will they say? Why? A lot of things that happen in our homes that we know are wrong and we don't like, we don't necessarily know why we think they're wrong. We just know they're wrong. But our children often, and particularly as they get older, need an answer. Maybe maybe when they're two, it's enough to say, well, mom says so. But if they're four, six, eight, ten, more and more you want to develop their thinking because someday you're not going to be around to enforce that no. And they're going to have to enforce it And their ability to enforce it for for their own lives will be based on how good of a reason there is to not do it, even though there's pressure to do it. And so, for example, uh, with profanity, got to thinking, well, what makes some words good and some words not good? Why are some words considered bad words? If you said that same word to somebody in Germany, they wouldn't be offended by it they don't know any of the words. Well, in Germany they would because most of them know English. But going to a country where they don't speak English and where they don't watch American movies, (laughs) you'd say that word and it wouldn't mean anything either way. It's it's just a a symbol, it's a signal that they don't understand. The same way I could say some bad words in, in Spanish to you and it would not bother you any more than other words that are not bad words in Spanish if you don't know them. So what makes a bad word a bad word? And I remember talking with my boys about it, trying to give them something to go with for their own lives. I said there are three different kinds of bad words. Now, I had never thought about this before. But a lot of times having to justify with your children as they get older why are certain things uh, off limits uh, develops you in your own thinking on the subject. So I came up with three categories of criteria of what makes a bad word a bad word. One would be uh, a blasphemy. It's a misuse of God's name. He says, you shall not take the name of your, the Lord your God in vain. And the, a vain use of God's name is just to use it like it was a, a piece of paper or a throwaway tissue or something like that. His name is holy and that means we shouldn't use it all the time. Just like our best china, we take it down on special occasions. We don't use the china bowl that we were given as a wedding present that's worth about $1,000 we don't use it to feed the dog with. It's a special bowl. But in the same way God's name is special and holy and it should only be used in terms of prayer or in in things that actually are talking about God and not just using it casually. A second area of profanity would be uh, terms relating to sexuality in an impure way. Bringing up topics of sexuality and things that promote immorality or things like that. So that's uh, everything related to sex, um, but done in a vulgar kind of a way is also considered profanity. And third, just things that are gross, you know, things related to bodily functions and things like that, which is common in locker rooms and everything. But it's just not the kind of thing you could imagine Christ talking about. It it puts an emphasis on, on things that, just that's the reason why people use them because they do cause a reaction. But just helping them to realize that it's not an arbitrary thing that some words are good and bad. There are reasons why certain words are considered by everyone to be bad. Even the people that use them realize that they're using them. They can maybe wear it down with time, but that's why they like using them so much. Because they realize that it kind of gets a, a different kind of response than using just your regular words. But that's just an example of how you as a parent, as a mom or dad, might think through, if I say no to this, what really is the reason why? Because as, you, as they get older, they're going to need to be able to think like that to be able to think for themselves when they're on their own. As far as family devotions, I have just one suggestion. Don't bore them. That was my one rule with uh, family devotions. Be creative. You don't, being creative doesn't mean you have to be smart. It doesn't really even mean you have to be creative. You just have to find good ideas and use them. But not to fall into the routine. You don't want them to think that everything to do with God is boring. One time I got all, a bunch of stuff in a bag and we went in the kitchen. This is when my kids were real little. So when they're real little, you got to be quick, you know. And, uh, and real visual. So I, uh, we sat around the kitchen table and turned off the light. And I began telling them the creation story. And so God said, let there be light. So I turned on the light, you know. And in my bag, you know, I've, I've got water. I've got Barbie dolls. I've got animal, stuffed animals, you know, to go through all of the, the seven days of creation. So it wasn't actually reading, reading the story out of the Bible. But it was telling them in a, in a creative way. So to try a lot of different things in communicating, another thing we we always would do would be to pray with them before they went to bed at night. I remember when they were real little, their first five or six years, I would bless them every night. And uh, I was raised Episcopalian, you know. But uh, I would just on their forehead do what the, what the priest would do. I'd say, in the name, I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just do a little cross on their head. Years later, my, my, one of my kids said, I never could figure out how you could draw the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit so quickly. I was trying to think, what was he doing up there? He said, the Father, that was clear. But then somehow he did a Son, and then the Holy Spirit, it was all over. He says, how did he do that so quickly? <laughs> I didn't realize, I should have told him it was the sign of the cross. But anyway, and to teach them Bible verses. Uh, we, we, the other week we played Walt quoting John 3.16 when he was just a year and a half old. I remember sitting on my father's lap when I was around six, and he taught me in the King James Version, Psalm 19, 1 Corinthians 13, Psalm 100, several long passages of Scripture that I still remember today. And we stopped doing it when I was eight. So it's really quite an investment in your children's lives. And every one of you will have your own different twist on it. You know, you don't have to do it like anybody else. Uh, But to both be involved in it, we're, we're kind of a crummy example on, on d- family devotions just because we're not real consistent in anything. But you may be one of those great plotters that you just get on a plan and you go. And and if you're that way, your kids are probably that way too and they'll probably love it. So you just do it according to the way you are, but make sure you you make time to, to do that. Give them some memories in terms of devotions. I want to mention something in terms of sex education. I've, uh, I don't know if you're... Familiar with these books by uh, The Navigators, but it's a set of four books. It's called God's Design for Sex. The nice thing about this is it's age specific. Two books I don't have right here right now. The first one is for ages 3 to 5. The second one is from, for ages 6 to 8. The third is ages 8 to 11. And the fourth is ages 11 to 14. Because the thing with sexual education is that they really need to be taught what's right, because they're very soon going to hear everything any, anyway, and usually from not positive sources. Even if they, it's factually, even if it is factually correct, it's all with a negative slant to it in terms of the world's way of thinking. And one of the most important things I think in, in sex education with our kids is that we want to be the first one to talk to them about it. Now, the nice thing about this is that you can talk to them without having to talk to them about it. I mean, you have to figure out what to say. These these are people that have already kind of done a pretty good study on it. The one for ages 3 to 5 just talks about how, how God made humankind, male and female, it's mostly like a picture book, and, it, and it's just real light over the subject. And then the next one gets a little bit deeper, but still not very much. Then by the third one, which is ages 8 to 11, since they're already beginning to hear a fair amount at school, you want to give them a little more information. And by the fourth one, it, it covers pretty much all the topics, including things like uh, that may come up about unwanted pregnancy or different things like that that they'll hear about as far as other people and stuff like that. What you're wanting to accomplish is to accompany them into this area with a God-centered focus in it with a to help keep Satan from investing such negative associations with the whole area of sexuality. And what happens when you let the world beat you to it? Because you say, oh, well, we don't want to get into that yet. So then at school or at summer camp or other places, then they, they find out these amazing things. Their first reaction is, as yours was at the time, this can't be true. But then they get enough corroboration from others. This is, well, maybe it is true, but it certainly can't be true because my parents would have told me. And so by other people beating you to the punch, so to speak, it Plants a doubt in your child's mind. I wonder what else they haven't told me. I wonder if I can trust them. This must not be something that children and their parents talk about. So I just need to talk to my friends about it. See, all of those things are are rough.
1: Just one other little tidbit that we have decided to do is that we will share... (laughs) the way Henry would word it is whoever we would change clothes in front of like me with the girls and him with the boys that's how we would share uh talk with them about the intimate issues of sex so like in the first book either one of us would read that with either of the children but as it gets to more intimate subjects it would be me with the girls and him with the boys
0: so the idea is, at any point in time, try to, as much as you can, maybe talking to parents of older children or things like that, or teachers at a school, try to get an idea of about where the society is in terms of at what age they are find, uh, finding out the different things about sexuality. So that you is, even though you think, well, that's, oh, I can't believe that, you know, and this is awful, and this and that, and the other. Well, nevertheless, that is how it is, and that's, that's just what's going to happen. You can't change that. But you can try to get the first word in and if you at least, with these books you basically cover the topics. You don't have to cover everything. By broaching the subject at all with them, you're already uh, trying to establish yourself as someone that can be trusted and talked to on the subject. So then if later on they they have some other question, we always tried to have it where our kids knew as much or more of the basic stuff as any of their friends and that they'd heard about it from us. And that, gave them a defense, we found, against people coming in with a negative view of sexuality or, or an immoral view. So I don't know if that's uh, helpful, but we, I found these books extremely helpful because it does it, instead of, of just talking about it in an abstract or technical way, the whole book is a conversation, each chapter is a conversation between a parent and their child. So they do the talking for you. For example, the chapter one is what's the big deal and this is in the one from ages 8 to 11 Sam says dad what's the big deal about sex why do people talk so much about sex like on TV and stuff why do the big kids joke about it and why do grown-up people seem to think about it so much and then you've got all of dad's answer in there and as you're reading I thought hey that's pretty good you know I wouldn't have thought of that but the point is it takes the pressure off of you since it's a nervous topic the book series is by Nav Press, N A V P R E S S, and this whole series is called God's Design for Sex. God's Design for Sex. And so, to, again, you want to keep it out of the shadows. You want to bring it out into the light. Don't let Satan hijack it. It was God's original design. Next point the importance of, of uh, realizing that God has made you, as a parent, a certain way. Some of you come from a, a very strict background and so maybe you tend to react against that and you want to give your kids more breathing room, you want them to feel more free, more loved and everything, and so all this thing about discipline and the rod and stuff is you sort of have an allergy related to that. It, you. Kind of do it, but it's sort of hold your nose and do it, regret doing it. It's just tough. And others of you, for whatever reason, you're more orderly and firm, and you're just naturally that way. I mean, maybe you were born to be in the army. I don't know. But some people just uh, have things very clear, and this is the way it is and they're even very cool about it, but using the rod is not, not a trouble. But maybe they are weak without realizing it on some of the more emotional and uh, things of, as far as showing affection, expressing feelings, and all of that. It's more of a just a very clear objective, what's right and proper. And so what that means is, that because uh, I've talked about both sides of that, and you'll normally find that you kind of gravitate to one side or the other. You kind of gravitate more to the... Loving, nurturing side, or you kind of gravitate more toward, hey, let's get this ship in shape, and uh, now we've we've got a way to do it. Let's do it. Now you could be that you're on one side and your spouse is on the other. So an issue comes up, and y'all, one goes left and the other goes right. Uh, One says, oh no, that you know, let's just we don't want to crush his spirit, you know, and the other says, but this is rebellion and it needs to be addressed. Now hopefully you wouldn't uh, discuss this in front of your child. Otherwise I have failed in the class because we've talked many times uh, about you not trying to work, iron out the differences in your child's presence because that creates kind of a fault, an Andreas fault in his concept of uh, y'all's marriage and it will tempt him to begin to try to play one off the other and contribute to marital friction. And to the degree the marriage isn't Firm and growing in unity to that degree, the child will be insecure, not to mention the marriage. So, let's just suppose that you think, well, why can't my spouse be more like me and see things clearly? <laughs> why can't I, you know, I have tried to explain this to them and it's just like they are blind? You need to realize that what would be even worse is if your spouse was just like you because then there wouldn't be anybody to balance you out, because most people lean one way or the other, and if you both lean the same way, the whole thing will tip over, because there's nobody that realizes, hey, there's something we're leaving out here, something we're not being consistent on. So if you've been having some friction with your spouse, you need to realize that It's probably not that either of you are completely right, that you're both sometimes right and that you need to be more appreciative that God gave you somebody that sees it a little bit more, a little bit differently. So if you're the kind that's more on the loving, sweet, let it go side, you're going to need to get a little more steel in your diet, a little more fiber there because you need to stand up to that child. Because for their own good, they need to learn to respond to authority. Otherwise, they'll be a rebel against God someday too. They need to respond to the word and they won't do it just because you love them. They will do it because there's something firm there to back up your word. So if you're the loving, sweet kind, you need to firm up. And if you are the strict kind that has everything clear and it's this is the, the rules and the law and the rod, well, you need to lighten up, you know. This is not the army. This is a family. And uh, this should be a place where your children really know your, that you love them and that you don't relate to them primarily through discipline. One of the problems in, in homes that are disorderly is there's not that much affection, but then we come in and try to improve the, the obedience issue with the rod, but we haven't solved the, their love tank is so empty that that will only result in resentment. They may conform for a while, but it's only uh, for a while. And whenever you come in and raise the level of discipline and the amount of things you discipline for, at the same time, you've got to find ways to be even more expressive of your interest and love in them and your physical touch so that they can handle this new, this increased level of discipline because in their mind... If you only really raise the level of discipline, they won't interpret it as love. I say, they're just, they're just mad at me. I'm just a bad person. And so the, when, whenever you realize we're, we're moving into uncharted territories, I mean, we, we've never used the rod, we're going to use the rod. Well, if we do that, what can we do at the same time that will make them feel even more loved than before? using things that you heard last week or the five languages of love. is another very good book on, on making your children feel more loved. But then let your spouse help you. Think it through because they may have some very specific opinions on uh, how you need to balance out uh, the way God's made you. Well, as people begin to approach the years, as children begin to approach the teen years, as we see and we've seen throughout all of our lives also, most of society has sort of a negative view of that. In, in Spanish, they call it the age of the turkey. It's the age of 12 to 14, la edad del pavo. It's just this strange kind of an age and um, where their teeth are big and you know they're just kind of growing and awkward and clumsy and shy and loud and have trouble accepting themselves and and they make themselves pretty unacceptable many times. And so society in general, you know, they say, well, uh, I now have two teenagers. What's everybody's response? Oh, isn't that sweet? No, it's, oh, man, up until a week ago, I could say I had four teenagers, you know, and I had everyone's sympathy saying that. When a baby's born, people don't say that as a general rule. They don't say, oh, no, look at that baby, you know. (laughs) So, why is it with teenagers people feel that way? I maybe have told you, but um, Mark Twain said when his suggestions for parents of teens is when they pass their 13th birthday that you put them in in a wooden cask and nail the lid on and feed them through the hole. And when they turn 15, you just plug up the hole. Now, we interacted with a family that had a, a huge impact on our, our lives. They also had four children. I knew them back before I was even married. And they did something interesting with their children. They were trying to find some way to go against the current of the prevailing opinion, negative opinion, about teenagerhood. Because, again, whatever you say works as a, like a prophecy over your children. So if you say, oh, no now you're a teenager well they will live out your words and you think i'm going to it's going to be tough well we'll make it tough now they don't consciously think that but you need to realize how powerful your words are for good or evil and so they said well what can we do to make a powerful positive statement that will go against the tide of what everyone else says about these years so that they'll be excited about it and they thought, well, in the Jewish faith, they have a bar mitzvah. And they celebrate the child, the, the son, and now the, the bat mitzvah for daughters. And they celebrate them coming into adulthood, where they're of age to read in the synagogue. And it's right around, I think, age 13. And they thought, well, maybe we could invent kind of a Christian bar mitzvah. And so they, they came up with something called the Teen Challenge. In a busy society like North America, you've got other things that can serve these purposes like the scouts or things like that. So I'm not suggesting that you you know, necessarily go to this this extreme because these are the kind of things that maybe work better in the mission field when uh, you don't have libraries to go to and you don't have the scouts. And, and so you're trying to think, what can you do with your children to replace what you're missing by being overseas? But they came up with something called the Teen Challenge where When the child is 12 and a half years old, on the exact day, when it's six months until their 13th birthday, uh, they've worked out a a list of things that they're going to get their child to do in order to graduate and be a teenager. And the whole idea is that now you are moving toward becoming an adult, and uh, you work out the things with them about what they'll do according to what you feel like their abilities are. And so you talk with them about it. It's not something you just spring it on them. You've been talking with them about it. But we would take them out to a meal at McDonald's or something in Argentina. That was special. And, uh, you know, Wendy feels like I kind of went whole hog on it, and I probably did. But, you know, we had six different areas where they would have goals that they, for, for six months to accomplish. Yes, Wendy?
1: The couple that gave us this wonderful idea had four different areas and one goal in each of those four areas. Henry took it to six areas and two goals in each of those areas, so he did go.
0: It's so wonderful having your spouse to balance you out,
1: <laughs>
0: and, I, and I do mean that. But I prevailed anyway. and. Uh, <laughs> And almost killed my fourth child. But anyway, the first one, I'm just going to tell you what, what Thomas did. Now, this is when he was 12 and a half, and he had six months to do it. Under physical, he was to hike to Martin's house using a map, which is about three miles away. Now, we went with him, but we just, he had the map, and he had to guide us. So if we got lost, we got lost. And we would maybe practice it one time, you know, do different things to make sure it would eventually work. And to do, there was a set of of, uh, five basic calisthenics that he did every day for two months. Under mental, he wrote a book. Mental development, he wrote a book, uh, basically like like a Hardy Boys mystery. What was it, the mystery of the old attic or something? The box in the old attic. And in science, uh, he wrote a manual for home gardening. And he planted a garden and had a, a page on each one of the different things that he planted. And uh, how do you take care of it and all of that? Under social, he was to plan and host a games night. And that went pretty well. And learn to do an Argentine cookout with chicken. And we ate it. I, I seem to remember it turned out pretty good. Again, this was something we'd practice a couple of times and I'd help him. And then the final uh, one, he had to do from start to finish on his own. Everything from starting the fire and cleaning the grill to figuring out if the chicken was actually cooked. The fourth area was spiritual, and he did a a book study of the book of Ephesians. I taught him how to do that. And to memorize 12 teenager verses that I picked out of the book of Proverbs. And so all, all the kids memorized these 12 verses. There were six topics. Put Christ first, be humble, be diligent, tame your tongue. And then one, this was for the girls, be a woman of God and pick your friends carefully. An example of one of them on picking your friends carefully, was Proverbs 13:20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Under arts and crafts, he was to learn to type on the computer keyboard and to present three dramatic soliloquies from Shakespeare from memory. Now, these were things he we talked about and he agreed to and he thought he'd like to do that. So he would get him to stand up on a chair and he would launch out into Friends, Romans, Countrymen, lend me your ears. And finally, a couple under cultural to learn a bus route. And he memorized the names of all the presidents of Argentina and their dates. And then uh, on completing all of these things, we wanted it to be enough where it was a challenge. But on the other hand, every once in a while, we'd come up with something that we'd have to change on the way. We realized, well, we'll need another goal in this area because this goal, either dad's ending up doing it all for him uh, Walt, was it Walt was going to di- build a chair or something? And I finally re- we both realized Dad was going to be building a chair, and Walt was going to be watching Dad build a chair and thought, that's not a teen challenge. That's a dad challenge, and I'm not very good at building things anyway. We, uh, we found something else for Walt. He, he decided he wanted to make wire trees because he'd seen one made uh, by a prisoner one time.
1: Best just asked me if they rebelled against this. This was uh, presented to them and they could accept the challenge or not. So uh, they all, we had talked about it, you know, and each one saw the other one do it. So it wasn't something that they had to do. We would kidnap them and take them out to McDonald's, which was fun, you know, it's a treat there. Here, you know, you'd go somewhere different, I'm sure. But then we presented them with the challenge, which is something that we had been talking to them for weeks about, you know, the areas and how they'd want to do it and then they could accept the challenge or say no. And they all accepted it.
0: Uh, while I finish talking about it, I'm going to send around, this is what Caroline did, the book she did researching uh, her great-great-grandfather and then I helped get it together on the in publishable form so that, because uh, the grandparents always want their copy of whatever the literary efforts were. Uh, let's see what Caroline's was. Uh, just to give you an idea of how the differences between... That was Thomas's, so he was a boy. This was Annie's. F- under physical, she had some exercises to do and learned to play ping pong. I don't think that went all that well, but anyway. Uh, how how do you define having learned to play ping pong? But, uh, yep. Under mental, she uh, she wrote a book in the style of C.S. Lewis. Now, it's an amazing thing for a child. when If they can accomplish these things, and you basically are committed to getting it to work somehow. So if whatever if you get into it and you realize this is just not going to go, you change it. You find something else. You basically keep lowering the bar until they're going to get over that thing one way or the other. Cuz they want to succeed, you want them to succeed. And w- one of the main challenges of being a teenager, uh, particularly a young and the young end of it is you wonder if you're going to be up to life. You wonder if you're going to make the cut. You're so critical of yourself your friends are all critical of themselves and therefore critical of you to not feel so bad about themselves. And there's this struggle to keep your head above water. And uh, the basic idea of this and the same thing could be accomplished by you know, different things with scouts or sports or things like that, horseback riding. But it's to give them a sense of accomplishment in basic areas of life and to think that they accomplished these things by the time they were 13 years old. That's it's like, I can do something. And they didn't know any of that. This was the, the cover that Annie drew for her book. It was Survival or Death on Devil's Isle. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty surprised too. <laughs> so, but each child, you know, finding things that they could do, that's when Walt learned to play the guitar, which he still plays to this day. And uh, Annie did a character study on Ruth and wrote and illustrated a cookbook and learned to prepare and serve some Argentine foods. Another thing you can do with a girl is have her invite a couple of family friends over and to plan the meal, buy the groceries, cook the whole meal, host it, and clean up afterwards. To have an experience of success in different areas of, uh, of life. I don't know if there are any questions on that. It's just an illustration of, of just an attempt at those critical years of 12 and 13 to give your kids... Uh, a more positive outlook on themselves. And the other thing it helped me with was, this. we kind of realized this after, or as we're going through it and after the fact, it got me as a dad more engaged with them. A lot of times at, at that age, dad's just busy and, you know, in some ways the family at times seems like it gets on automatic pilot. And so dad thinks everything's fine, but it's, uh, we're missing opportunities to build into the lives of our kids. Uh, you know, there's no fires to put out, but there's a lot of building to be done. But we're used to just putting out fires, you know, so we're just, we kind of see ourselves as firemen. No smoke, you know, I can take a nap. Uh, no fire to put out. Uh, but we need to realize we're more farmers and uh, to need to sow. And by thinking through, like these different areas, maybe not in this form, you know, you might think physical. Well, we've got them involved in swimming, you know, so that that's, covers that area. Mental, well, usually your school, you know, has them doing things on that. So, But just to think about the different areas and if there's any kind of a project you could do together. I mean, some of the men are real handy, you know, build a treehouse together, something like that. But uh, we found that it forced me to interact a whole lot more with the kids and also to admit that I also didn't always know what we were doing and if that was the best way to do it, you know, to model being flexible with them. Well, somehow we've run out of time, but I've had a wonderful time with you these uh, six weeks that I've taught. Hope it's been in some way helpful, and uh, I just wish we could keep doing it, but maybe we'll do it again sometime. But I'm out of time, so let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are wonderful, and we're not, but you live in us, and you can live through us. I pray that you would encourage the dads and encourage the moms and the grandparents here to just take it step by step, to know you're with them and that you're going to help them. Bless their hearts for being open and teachable. Help them with the things that are hard for them, whether it be being more firm or being more expressive of their love and feelings. And we pray for a great harvest in the lives of their children, uh, whom they love and who, who love them so much. We love you too, Father, and we thank you for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.